Okay, church, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, and preschoolers, you are dismissed, those going to the preschool class. Romans 13. We are continuing our study of Romans, preaching uh, verse by verse through, through Romans. Uh, this is not because the State of the Union was recently, uh, but in God's sovereignty, here we are in Romans uh, 13. And these verses will be, that we'll be covering today are going to be so important for us, church, because we as a people have a problem with authority. Many of us in here and many of us out there, we have authority issues, if we're honest. And I observed this as I uh, worked at the hospital. Most of you know I used to work at the hospital. And in general, in general, if I had a patient that was 60 years of, of age or older, they typically treated all their medical providers like we were their parents. Uh, they they had a lot of very a lot of respect for us you know a lot of they 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 listened to what we had to say uh, they made us feel honored they 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 trusted anyone in a white coat almost to a fault um, they acknowledged that we had authority in that situation in the hospital setting and they respected it they would do anything we told them to do short of breaking the ten commandments but I at times had to encourage them to question some of these specialists they were seeing, and to not just unconditionally obey everything someone told them to do at a hospital. But then on the other end of the spectrum, what I experienced in general with people who were younger than 60 was that they treated their medical providers like we were their slaves. I'd walk into a room, they'd say, thank you for being here. You're late. Please sit down. Uh, This is what we're going to do. I need you to write this. I need you to fill out this. You need to give me this, this, and this. I've been reading. I need this and this. So you're going to do it, and I need it right now. Now, both of those situations, you might not perfectly fit into that, and it really isn't just an age thing because I would guess some of you are more on one end of the authority spectrum where you either feel like you must unconditionally obey everything that someone in authority tells you to do. Probably a lot of our firstborns are even in this category. But then some of you are on this other end of the spectrum where you don't recognize or honor anyone as having legitimate authority over you. You are a lone ranger. This is America, and only you answer to God and no one else. So we've got people on both ends of the authority spectrum this morning. And so a right understanding of Romans 13 is necessary for all of us, probably for different reasons, because we must understand how God governs his world. And we must learn this morning that God governs his world through delegated, limited, and imperfect authorities that we must honor and submit ourselves to out of obedience to Christ. And yet we must also understand when it is our duty to resist these authorities out of our obedience to Christ. Because throughout history, Romans 13 has been a favorite passage of Scripture for tyrants and dictators. 
When Christians have not had a well-rounded and biblical understanding of authority, civil leaders have taken that opportunity to take these verses out of context in order to manipulate people and Christians to get their allegiance and unconditional obedience. I agree with something I read from Joel Nichols, who's a professor at a law school in South Africa, when he wrote this in an article. He said, the misuse of Romans 13 has caused more unhappiness and misery in the world than any other seven verses in the New Testament. I agree with that. And so we have an important task ahead of us today because we must understand how God governs his world, the role of the civil government, and how we are to live as ones who are under authority. Last week in Romans 12, let's, let's try to keep Romans 13 in context. Do you remember what we learned in Romans 12? We learned how we overcome evil, that we are to overcome evil with good. We learned that we are not to fight sin with sin or retaliate evil with evil, but instead to break that cycle of sin and return good to those who do us wrong to pray blessings for our enemies. And I hope that's something that you were learning and disciplining yourself to do this past week, to pray blessings for those who have wronged you. And you'll remember one of the reasons that we are free to do that is because we can patiently wait on the Lord to carry out his justice. And now in Romans 13, we see that one of the ways God intends to administer justice in his world is through this authority called the civil government. And this morning, we're going to first try to understand the different spheres of authority that God has given and how these each fit into his sovereign rule and reign. We'll then look at the job description of the civil government according to God's word. And then we'll look at what our responsibility is in relation to the civil government and talk about when it is wrong to resist and when it is our duty to resist. But before we jump in, let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Father, we, we need your help this morning. Lord, we've acknowledged that we all have past baggage and different views of authority. We've been, many of us have been wounded by different authority figures we've had in life, God. It's sometimes hard to see how you are ruling and reigning even in the midst of these imperfect authorities that you've put over us. So, Father, please help us. Please help the truth of your word come to the, sur- the surface of things this morning. Please help me bring clarity and light by the power of your spirit to, to what your word has to teach us. May you teach us and transform us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, when I say the word government... What probably comes to your mind is our state and federal government, which would actually be more precisely called our civil government. 
Because you see, God governs his world through more than just the civil government. And Christians throughout history have understood this because this is what God's word teaches us. But many of us recently, we've forgotten this truth. In fact, if you looked up the definition of government in Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 edition, which you can still search and use online, But if you search the word government in in that edition of Webster's Dictionary, that definition of government would really surprise you as to what it included in its definition. You're going to find things in that definition talking about self-control and self-restraint or what people used to call self-government. This was your responsibility to govern your own emotions and passions and exercise self-control of yourself as an individual. It also, in that definition of Webster, uh, the 1828 division, it also included this thing called family government, the authority of parents in a household. And it included some other things. It was definitely a robust definition of government back in 1828. Whereas if you look up the word government now, all, you won't find any mention of family government or self-government or church government. You will only find civil government. And so I realized that that word government, it just, it's changed its meaning throughout the years. And so I, I realize it can be a bit confusing when I'm using that word government in a more broad term to describe other things besides just our civil government. But what I'm trying to get at is that God governs his world through these different spheres of authority, okay, which, which I might today call governments or, or spheres of authority. God governs his world through lesser governments and authorities. And all of these lesser authorities, all these lesser governments under God, these are delegated from God. It's, it's a delegated authority. A God has given specific, specific, excuse me, specific tasks to specific entities, right? This is a delegated authority. And therefore, it is a limited authority. And because of the presence of sin in the world, it is an imperfect authority. So let me say that again. God governs his world, and he governs his world through delegated, limited, and imperfect authorities. And so Romans 13, it is Paul talking about the civil government, but we must understand that the civil government is not the only government that God has delegated authority to. And so we're going to put a slide up on the screen that we'll have up for most of the sermon, trying to give you a synopsis, a summary of how the Bible teaches us that God governs his world. We ultimately see in God's, that there is one government ultimately, and it's God's government. After his resurrection, we see Jesus tell his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. All authority. All authority has been given to Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Many of you ladies at the recent conference that you went to learned that the first Christian creed was this, Jesus is Lord. It's what we've already learned in Romans as to what the early Christians were proclaiming. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. And by saying Jesus is Lord, Christians are also saying that Caesar is not. And so that's where we need to start in understanding government. Jesus is Lord. The civil government is not. 
God is the only unlimited authority we have. God is the only perfect authority that there is, and he is the only source of all legitimate authority in the world. Now, the reason that I want to have this visual in front of you is because humanity at different times in history has wrongly thought of these lesser authorities more in a top-down fashion. There's been times in history where we viewed, oh, maybe civil governments on top and the church is submissive to that and the family is submissive to that. Or there's been other times in history where the church has been on top and the civil government should be submissive to the church and then the family to them. But that's not how we see God's word describe how God governs his world. No, he's on top. But all these other authorities have been given delegated authority with a specific job description a specific lane to run in. And they have the authority to govern in how God has said they can govern. And when they go outside of their sphere of authority and start to infringe on other spheres of authority, they become what we would call tyrants. Tyranny can be defined as ruling without the delegated authority of God. Ruling without the delegated authority of God. And you'll find tyrants all over. You'll find tyrants in the family, won't you? You'll find tyrants in the church. And you'll find tyrants in the civil government, those that want to rule and exercise authority outside of the delegated authority God has given them. But Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, being subject to the governing authorities is not the same as unconditionally obeying the governing authorities. To be subject is a word that means to submit as one who recognizes an ordered structure. To submit as one who recognizes an ordered structure. This means to submit yourself to the way that God has ordered and structured his government. So that's why we've got this visual in front of you. This is how God has structured his government. And we're going to go through some of these really quickly as far as self, family, and church. We're just going to briefly touch on them because ultimately we need to get to the civil government uh, this morning in Romans 13. But I'd I'd encourage you to go on your own, search the scriptures yourself to learn more about these other governing authorities that God has put into place. And the first one is self-government that I mentioned there uh, uh, earlier. You'll see it in parentheses underneath all these other lesser governments. Because really, this is an underlying part of civil, church, and family governments. And what I mean by that is that God has given us all a degree of responsibility and ability to exercise self-control and govern ourselves. He's given us a conscience, and we have plenty examples in Scripture where God tells us to govern our passions and desires. But what we see is that when this breaks down, then these other governing authorities have to step in with correction, with discipline, and at times with punishment. Isn't this what we see in the family? When, when a child cannot govern themselves well, a parent must step in to correct and discipline. 
And so if you want to understand that sphere of authority, uh, just do a search for self-control and see all that the Bible would have to say about self-control. God has also then given us family governments or family, this sphere of authority for the family. He's given a specific sphere of authority for parents with kids and husbands with wives. He's told children that they are to obey their parents in the Lord, that they are to honor their father and mother. Fathers are to bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to respect their husbands. Parents are to teach their children diligently. Now, this doesn't mean that they can't delegate some of that responsibility to trusted teachers in schools or in churches, but this does mean that ultimately the responsibility and authority to educate children has been given to parents. To read more on this government, look at Deuteronomy 6 or Ephesians 6. We also see that families are to provide for those that are in their household and their relatives. They should be the primary means of caring for the health of their relatives and providing daily provisions. 1 Timothy 5.8, which we'll have up on the screen, says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Oh, you see, the Department of Health and Education and Welfare work best when they are operating within the family government. Now, let me pause for a moment and recognize that there are times of overlap with these spheres of authority, and that's how God designed it as well. When the individual is struggling or failing, other families and the church should step in to help. When families are breaking down and struggling, the church should step in to meet the needs and help families get back on their feet. The church government and the family government are to meet the needs of the widow, the orphan, and the poor. Unfortunately, what we've seen happen recently in our society is that there's been a a breakdown in the church and in the family and in the self-governments, and we've given almost all authority to our civil government in hopes that it would be our savior. And so we need churches to proclaim truth. And the truth is, is that there is a savior and Lord, And his name is Jesus. And this is one of the roles now of the church government, to proclaim truth to all other governing authorities. 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is one of the roles of the church to proclaim truth to all other governing authorities. We are hold, to hold fast to the truth. We are to know it. We are to teach it. And we are to proclaim it. We also see in this sphere of authority for the church that God has given positions of authority in the church. He's given the church elders. Elders are to be overseers and shepherds of local congregations who lead the people, who feed the word of God to the people, who protect them from false doctrine, and who care for the people as ones who are keeping watch over their souls. The church has been given the authority to preach the gospel and to disciple the nations, to teach the nations to observe all that God has commanded. The church has been given the authority to oversee and administer the two ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, to ensure that the proper worship of God carries on and that the saints do not neglect to meet together. 
The church has also been given the authority to exercise church discipline for the good of the one being disciplined and the purity of the church. And so each sphere of authority has delegated authority from God with limited authority and a specific job description. And we acknowledge this at different times with different ceremonies. Think about what we do with a child dedication. We not only are praying over the child, but we are ordaining and commissioning the parents to a specific task. When we install someone as an elder of the church, we pray over them and ordain them and commission them for a specific task. And when a civil government leader is inaugurated, when they are sworn in with their hand, most of the time, I think, still on, on a Bible, whether they realize it or not, they are being ordained and commissioned by God with a specific task. Now, each civil government might look a little different depending on the type of government it is, but this we know for sure, that they must not overstep the role that God has given them, and they must not infringe on the other governing authorities. It would be wrong of me as your pastor to come to your house and start telling you what time to put your kids to bed and what to feed them and what to exactly teach them, what to put into their minds and their bodies. I mean, as your pastor, I can speak into that. I can give you advice. I can give you biblical counsel. I can teach you what God's word says and how that would apply to you. But ultimately, that is your responsibility and sphere of authority. In whatever position of authority God has given you, you must know your job description and you must not turn it into a, into a tyrant and infringe upon the other governing authorities. We see an example of this in 2 Chronicles 26 with what happened between King Uzziah and the priests. You see, the king in his pride wanted to have political and spiritual authority and look what happens. 2 Chronicles 26, 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, speaking of King Uzziah, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. What we see happens is that God strikes the king with leprosy, and he was a leper till the day he died. It was absolutely right of the priests to stand against the king in this situation. We're talking about a king here too. The Lord had not given the civil government's leader, the king, the authority to burn incense and lead the worship of God. That was for the priests. Now, I know we we have a lot of future pastors. I believe we have a lot of future pastors in the room, young men and future men. And I need you to listen to me now. The people of God have always and will always need spiritual leaders who are courageous enough 
to stand up to civil leaders and say, this is not your sphere of authority. You have done wrong. Repent, for this will bring you no honor from the Lord. We, we honor the sphere of authority that God has given you. We do. We're going, to talk about, we're going to continue to talk about that. We honor and respect the sphere of that authority that God has given you, but you must stay in your lane and not try to exercise authority where God has given it to the church or to the family or to the individual. Well, what is the sphere of authority that God has given to the civil government? What is their task that they've been commissioned to carry out? Now that we've gotten an overview of the other governing authorities, what is the primary job description of the civil government? Look with me now at Romans 13, verse 3. Romans 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, it's really interesting that Paul, how Paul describes the civil government. He twice calls them a servant of God and once calls them ministers of God. This is similar language that he uses when he describes church leadership. In fact, the word for servant in the, in the Greek is diakonos, is the word we translate deacon. And I realize we haven't installed deacons yet here at Franklin City Church, but that is coming eventually as we pursue a biblical model of leadership. Deacons are not necessarily to be overseers or teachers like elders are, but instead they take the lead as lead servants in the church. And when someone is installed as a deacon or an elder in a church, they have a specific job description, and they don't get to write it themselves, but instead it is guided by the Word of God. And in the same way, civil leaders are to be servants of God, deacons of God, for a specific purpose. And what is that? What is the primary purpose of the civil government? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 13, the civil government's primary purpose is to punish evil and reward good. Punish evil and reward good. Now, let me clarify that. As God would define both those terms, evil and good. And so when a civil government starts instead Instead, it starts to reward evil and punish good. Or when it starts to be more concerned with what the church, the family, and the individual are supposed to be doing, what happens is it's starting to neglect its primary task. And you see, back in Paul's day, there were some things about the Roman Empire that were good in Paul's day. 
They provided relative peace to the known world for a stretch of time. They built roads and provided laws and protections for citizens, and those were good things. But Paul's not necessarily describing the Roman Empire under Nero here. Instead, he's prescribing to us what a civil government's primary task is in God's government. Always ask yourself when you're reading a passage of Scripture, is this descriptive or prescriptive? Is he describing something or is he prescribing something? And this is primarily prescriptive. I mean, look look back at verse 3 with me. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 is almost like a proverb. It's It's a general truth that civil rulers are not a terror to good conduct. This is, this is proverbial. It's a general truth. But we can obviously think of plenty of examples here and exceptions here when civil rulers are a terror to good conduct. I mean, Paul is eventually going to arrive in Rome where he's writing, who he's writing to, but he's not going to arrive as a prestigious guest speaker. He's going to arrive as a prisoner of the civil government. It's going to arrive in chains. What was supposed to be a servant of God will turn into an instrument of Satan as persecution will break out against the church. Go read Revelation 13 and see what happens when the civil government becomes an instrument of Satan instead of a servant of God. But God's word says that the primary task of the civil government is to administer justice as God defines justice, by punishing evil as God defines evil, and rewarding good as God would define good. And so that's the job description. Church and family governments are to focus in on correction and discipline and instruction. Civil governments are to focus in on punishing the evildoers. And to do this, they've been given the power of the sword. Well, what does that mean? Paul talks about the power of the sword. The power of the sword means that it is the civil government that has the authority to punish those who do wrong with force, with military, with police, with fines, with imprisonment, with death. We do not have that authority as individuals. Praise the Lord. As we learned last week in Romans 12, we do not have that authority as individuals to seek revenge and and immediate justice. We do not have that authority as families, the power of the sword. We do not have that authority as the church. Even though, listen, if you read history, there have been times where the church has wielded the power of the sword and it was not a good thing. No, the authority to punish through power and fines and imprisonment and death has been given by God to the civil government for our good, to punish evil as God defines evil and reward good as God defines good. So that's the job description. What are are the qualifications for a civil leader? I mean, we have lists of qualifications for elders and deacons and church governments and families. Like, does the Bible give us some wisdom for what qualifications of a civil leader uh, should be? And I believe the Bible does give us some wisdom as to what qualifications for civil leaders should be. Uh, When Moses' father-in-law is helping him select some leaders to lead the people, what does he tell him in Exodus 18.21? Exodus 18.21, he says, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. 
Then in Deuteronomy, we, in, we see instructions that God gives in regards to judges and officers in their towns, to civil governmental leaders. In Deuteronomy 16, 19, he says, you shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. God then goes on and gives instructions for kings in chapter 17. And just a part of that says in Deuteronomy 17, 17, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Okay, so to summarize, you should consider being a politician. If you fear God, you are trustworthy, you hate bribes, you don't show partiality, you're a one-woman kind of man, and you don't seek to increase your wealth while in office. And you're right. That's, that's really all we can do is just, just chuckle a little bit. And then we sort of get sad, and we get sad about it and despair. But here's the thing, church. Because so many of us have treated the civil government and politics as dirty words, and because we've so disrespected politicians in our homes, most of our kids probably don't want to grow up to be politicians. And Romans 13 says that the civil government was God's idea. And God doesn't have bad ideas. Listen, we need some of you to grow up and to be called to, be, to serve in the civil government. We have told too many young people growing up who fear God, who are trust, trustworthy, and who aren't greedy for selfish gain. We've told them they need to go into ministry, and that by that we mean be a pastor or a missionary. But listen, we need some of them to grow up and go to law school and go into the ministry of the civil government. Because listen, really, who, whose fault is it for how we are currently being governed and who we are currently being governed by? I realize that it's, it's real easy to blame politicians and to t- take shots at them from, from inside these walls. It would be easy for me to get you all riled up as we just kind of bash those who are serving in positions over us right now. But we need to see our responsibility in this and repent of the ways that we have fallen short. Abraham Kuyper, a Christian theologian, prime minister of the Netherlands in the early 1900s, he said, in any successful attack on freedom, the state can only be an accomplice. The chief culprit is the citizen who forgets his duty. You see, we've forgotten our duty as followers of Christ, living under God's government. The civil government is God's idea. It is a servant of God that is to punish evil and reward good. And we should encourage those who fear the Lord, who are trustworthy, who hate bribes, to consider going into this ministry. Our default posture should be to, to be subject to how God governs his world through the civil government. Our default posture should be to want to obey and follow and honor their leadership. But here's the question. 
when should, should Christians resist the civil government? Or really any of the governing authorities God has put into place, when is it our duty to resist? To resist the authority of the church that we're in or the family we're a part of, the civil government we are citizens of, when is it our duty to resist? Well, first let's talk about when it's wrong to resist. Okay? It is not okay to resist an authority over you when it is simply an imperfect authority. Because get this, even the best of civil governments will be imperfect. Even the best of families will be imperfect. And even the best of churches will be imperfect. Being governed by simply imperfect authorities does not give you a right to resist them. But instead, you must submit yourself to them. Recognize God's structure of authority. Recognize how God governs his world. It's also wrong to resist the governing authorities if it's coming from a sinful hatred of authority in general. And, and you, you know who you are. I mean, be, be self-aware enough to know kind of your inclination. Some of you just don't like the idea of anyone having authority over you. <laughs> if the only authority you acknowledge up on the screen is the one in which you get to be in charge of... <laughs> you might have an authority problem. Like if you're all about your kids respecting and honoring you, but you don't honor your parents, you don't honor your pastors, and you don't honor your civil leaders, let me tell you, learning to honor authority is better caught than taught. And you might be able to coerce and force your kids to honor you while they're under your roof, but I would guess you're really going to struggle when they're outside the home if they have not seen it modeled to them. Now, you might not be able to respect the character of all the politicians that are over you, but you do need to respect and honor their positions. And you do need to be grateful to God for the good he is working through them. And you do need to pray for them. And you do need to pay your taxes. It's one of the application points this morning. I don't know if it's ever been an application before in our sermons, but application point, pay your taxes today. And be honest about it. And be, on, be a Christian who pays their taxes. Be honest about it. Honor the governing authorities that God has put over you, even though they are imperfect. Christians are not to be anarchists. In general, in general, I know there's maybe an exception to this, but in general, bad civil governments are still better than no civil governments. If you don't really believe in the depravity of man or how sin has infected the hearts of so many uh, of everyone in the world, remove all restraints from that and see what happens. In general, bad civil governments are better than no civil governments, and we must be grateful to God for the good that he does provide us through this, through these governing authorities. But when are Christians, when, when are we to resist? Because we do see plenty of examples throughout Scripture and throughout history of Christian resistance. 
When Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill the newborn boys in the time of Moses, they, they disobeyed his order and God blessed them. When King Nebuchadnezzar ordered all subjects to fall down and worship his golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they disobeyed and God honored them. When the Sanhedrin ordered the disciples to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they responded in Acts 5.29 with a, we must obey God rather than men. And so a general consensus amongst Christians is that we must disobey any governing authority when they command what is forbidden or forbid what is commanded by God. We must disobey any governing authority when they command what God has forbidden and forbid what God has commanded. But also, in light of what we've learned this morning, we must also add to that that we must resist a governing authority when it exceeds the delegated authority given to them by God and starts intruding on the other governing authorities. And so even if the civil government is not directly telling us to sin, if they start telling us when we can meet for worship, how to meet, what to wear, what to put in our bodies, what we can preach and not preach, what we must teach our kids, we can honor them and respect them and hear their advice and take it into consideration, be open to reason, seek wisdom and counsel. But we are also in our right to stand and say, you do not have authority in this sphere of authority. For in that realm, they would no longer be operating in their God-given authority, and therefore we can and must resist. Now, it's not as if we should resist them completely, as if if they overstepped one time, then that gave us an excuse to just resist them in all areas. No, we should still follow the speed limit. We should still follow other laws. We should still pay taxes. But we must resist them in the ways that they infringe on the other authorities God has given us. And we do so not because we hate authority and not because we love to resist, but ultimately we resist tyrants out of a love for God and a love for neighbor and out of an obedience to Christ. For we know that God is good and Christ is Lord and there will be blessing and peace and grace that is experienced when we submit ourselves to how God governs his world. Church, I know it can be a bit discouraging as we consider our civil government. Even maybe as we think about our past churches and church governments and the brokenness there as we think to the, the brokenness that we've experienced in our families, can be discouraged as we think about these imperfect authorities that God has given us. And yet, do not be discouraged this morning, but see that all these delegated, limited, and, and imperfect authorities are all a part of God's government, and Jesus is Lord. 
it is a good thing to live as one who is under authority because ultimately we live as ones who are under the authority of Jesus Christ. And when these lesser governments fail us, God's grace is sufficient for us. If we humble ourselves and look to him and seek to experience the reality more and more of Jesus being Lord, Lord of our, us as individuals, Lord of our families, Lord of our churches, and Lord of our land and our civil governments. We must first look to Christ as Lord of our hearts and our minds. I mean, think about yourself as an individual. Have you seen ways that you've fallen short of, of governing yourself in a way that is honoring to the Lord? Oh, if that's you, look to Christ this morning and receive his mercy and grace. He died to free us from the tyranny of sin in our hearts. Through Christ, you no longer have to be enslaved to sin and to your emotions and to your passions. You are free in Christ. Maybe you are discouraged that you've been part of a family that has experienced brokenness and wounds. Wounds from sin, from parents falling short of what God had called them to. Oh, but may you look to Christ this morning and see that he has freed you from past wounds and empowered you now for the future. What, re what responsibilities and positions has he given you now in your family? And how can you honor Christ as Lord in the family he has given you? Have some of you been disappointed by the imperfections and failings of the church and her leadership? Oh, if that's you, may you see her as Christ sees her and love her as Christ loves her. She is not as beautiful as one day she will be, but that day is coming. How can you, in obedience to Christ, submit yourself more to this body of believers that he has called you to? What about our civil government? Maybe this morning you're depressed, you're despairing, maybe you're angry, or maybe you're just apathetic when you think about our current civil government. In what ways must you submit yourself to it out of obedience to Christ? Maybe for some, that just means not to neglect it or be apathetic towards it. Maybe it is to regularly pray for it. In what ways must, I realize not all of us are going to be called to, to serve and as representatives or, lead, or positions of leadership in the civil government, but we're all called to be good stewards of what God has given to us and, and to have some role in it. How must you submit yourself to it out of obedience to Christ this morning? And then I want you to think for a moment in what ways you might have to resist it in the future out of obedience to Christ. And may God give us the courage to do so. The church, if we set our eyes on Christ this morning, we will not be discouraged. For his kingdom will come and his will will be done. The authorities on the bottom of that chart are temporary authorities.
But Christ's kingdom will continue to grow and it will be an eternal kingdom. His kingdom will come and his will will be done, not through us taking up arms or bringing it by force, but through the worship of God, through the preaching of the gospel, and through calling people to faith and repentance. And so what we need, church, is patience and hope as we look to Christ to redeem and sanctify these governing authorities he has given us. Incremental change is what we're after. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that starts small and slowly grows. We might not ever see our governments functioning properly as they should, but may we in our lifetime see the kingdom more fully realized as more and more people and more and more governing authorities recognize Jesus as Lord. And so here is a closing word from God to the prophet Isaiah a passage that should be read more often than just Christmas time. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray.